felt prompted to the Holy Spirit to preach on a special subject this morning, and, and uh, it started out kind of strange. It just said, preach on the Holy Spirit. And so I said, okay, what do you want me to preach on the Holy Spirit? And nothing came. And uh, I, was, I was reading something totally, totally uh, different. I wasn't even studying for my sermon when this hit me. But in Acts chapter 4, the little phrase that hit me, it said, and Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I read the rest of that chapter, and it's led me to the last message that I want to share with you this morning. Boldness in the Holy Spirit. How to be bold in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that this morning, but in order to get there, we've got to go to chapter 3. We're going to read through chapter 4 of Acts chapter 4, but we're going to read, I want to tell you the story that led up to it in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were on the way to the temple to pray one day, and as they walked along, they saw a man begging by the city gates. This man was lame. He was well known to everybody around there. He went there every day, and he begged for alms. He begged for, for, uh, for gifts from people. And Peter and John walked by, and they saw this guy, and he said, Look at me. The man looked at him, and the Bible says that he was expecting some kind of a gift from Peter and John. But Peter said those words, those probably well understood words. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man felt strength come into his legs and his ankles, and he got up and he started to walk and he started to leap and he started to praise God. And he ran into the temple area and he began telling people what happened to him. And this huge crowd gathers around them. And Peter takes the opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. He, he preaches to them, and he begins talking about Jesus Christ. And he, and he mentions two things. The first thing that he mentions is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now that's important. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about why that's important. But he says, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he calls them to repentance for their role in crucifying Jesus Christ. He says, repent then. And turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. And the Bible says that the people were amazed by his preaching. A little later on, it says that some come into the kingdom of God. About 5,000 people added to the 3,000 people that happened on the day of Pentecost. 2,000 more come into the kingdom of God at this time. And this draws a crowd, and it draws the, the attention of the authorities that are there. So now in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says this. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captains of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were a sect of the Jewish people that taught very specifically that there was no resurrection of the dead. That when you died, it was over, it was done. You died and your soul didn't go anywhere, nothing happened. You were just dead. When you're dead, you're dead. And here are Peter and John preaching that Jesus gives us the hope of the resurrection. You can see why it upset them. 
It went against everything that they believed, and so they came out with the captain of the guards, with the military, the Jewish military force that was there, and that was there to protect the temple area. The Romans allowed them to have uh, a kind of a quasi-military force of people that stayed within the temple confines, but they allowed them to have that, and they came out, and they began to question Peter and John. And they arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in the jail until morning. But many of the people who had heard the message believed it, so the number of people who believed now totaled about 5,000 people. So they came, they arrested them. This is toward the evening. The courts are all closed up for the night. They can't try them there. They can't inquire of them. And so they throw them in jail for the night. Then the next morning, the next day, the council of all the elders and the rulers and the teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. This is a gathering of the high and the mighty of Jewish faith that were there. They were the elders. They were the ones. They were the bigwigs. They were the learned ones. They were the ones that made the laws and the rules and enforced them. It says Annas, the high priest, was there. The high priest was as high as you could go in Jewish culture. That was the, the top dog, so to speak, of their, of, their, uh, of their people was the high priest. He's the one that was in charge. And he's in on this thing along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. How many of you know when you got a family against you, you got trouble? When you got the whole family against you, you got problems, and the whole family turned out for this thing. And these, were all, these weren't just family members. I don't want to mislead you there. These were people that were, that were highly thought of in the Jewish society. They had held the office. Some of them had held the office of high priest before Caiaphas had, and they were people that were in charge. They had great influence in the group of people that were there. It says, they brought the two disciples in and they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? They wanted to know who they thought they were. Teaching this, not so much that the guy got healed, they couldn't have really cared less about that. But they wanted to know what made Peter and John think that they could teach these doctrines of resurrection of the dead because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they wanted to know where he got the authority to do that. And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, there's the phrase that we want to focus on this morning. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, we, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? They didn't ask that. They didn't ask how he was healed. They asked by what authority they taught these things. But Peter and John knew that the real crux of the problem was that they didn't accept Jesus Christ as God, as Savior, as Messiah. And so they asked him this question. Are you, are you beating me up? Are you busting my chops? Because we healed a crippled man. I'll tell you about that. It says, let us clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now I want you to know this is a gutsy move on the part of Peter. 
They are, they are putting their life literally in the hands of these people by proclaiming. He doesn't just say, yeah, it's in Jesus' name that we, that we raised him from the dead. He goes further. He says, there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. How many of you know that's still true? It's still true that there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved than the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes even further and he said, Who, by the way, you killed? It's like, come on, man. You know, use your head. Use some common sense here. These guys have power of life, over, life and death over you. You didn't need to stick the knife in and twist it a little bit. But he did. And he said that salvation of no other name is found in Jesus Christ. It says the council members were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. They were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. How many of you can identify with Peter and John this morning? You have no special training in Scripture. All you've done is read it. You've never been to a seminary. You've never been to a, to a school. You've never been to a Bible study class that went into depth with these things. But you knew the Scriptures. But it says they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. There's nothing like spending time in the presence of the Savior. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Joe. I, I thought that was impossible. He's dead. He's in heaven. He's not here. No, but through the Holy Spirit, we can have fellowship with Jesus Christ today. That's one of the reasons you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because He is the visible presence of Jesus Christ in our world today. He is the one that is sent by Jesus Christ to be our comforter and to be our friend and to be the one that's close to us. He's the one that Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're called before councils and committees. I will fill your mouth with words at those times. Jesus, is, is the Holy, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one together with us. And that's why we needed. They, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They weren't learned in Scripture, but they were learned in Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. I mean, what are you going to do? The guy was there. Everybody knew that he, had been, that he had been lame for his whole life and that he had sat in the temple square and begged for his whole life. And yet here he was standing and giving, uh, giving confession to what had happened to him. And he was there in, in the presence of everybody. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred with themselves. They knew they were in trouble. They knew there were problems because there stood the guy. There stood the evidence of the truth of what they were saying. You see, the power of Jesus Christ is made to validate the message that we speak. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important in your life and in my life. It's important because the power of the Holy Spirit validates the message that we speak. You may be able to argue with things that, that, that we say, but you can't argue with the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important for you to pray for those that need you. Remember my saying, can I pray for you? Opening spiritual doors, opening spiritual opportunities by simply asking a question, can I pray for you? Pray for that need no matter what it is and see what God does with it. See where God leads with it. See where God goes with it. 
That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to perform miracles of, 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 through us. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and that everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Man, I hate it when that happens. Everybody knows that this man was healed by the power of Jesus' name. But to keep them from spreading the propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, what do you think that's going to do? This is the boldness of the Holy Spirit that, that, uh, that the, the disciples had. They, they answered them and they said, but Peter and John replied, do you think... God wants us to obey you rather than him? That's bold. That is boldness. These guys have the power of life and death over these apostles, over these disciples. And they're getting lippy with them. Now, all of this is done very respectfully. They're not, getting, they're not being offensive. Uh, the truth is offensive enough without making it more offensive. But they simply said, we've got to obey God rather than you. It's incumbent upon us to obey God rather than you. And the council then threatened them further. You guys, I'm going to get you. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Forty years of the inability to use your legs, the inability to walk. And with a word from the disciples, from the apostles, from Peter and John, they, he is set free from that and he is, he is healed and, he, and he's evidence of God's mighty power. And then it's backed up by the teaching of the word of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, this man was healed. He is the one that has, that has done the work. Not us. Jesus is the one that has healed him. But I want to draw your attention to the words that are spoken in verse, I don't know what verse it is, but it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, thank you. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Why should you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because you need boldness in the heart of every single one of us here this morning. Every single one of us, myself included, especially myself, lives a coward. Lives somebody that if enough pressure is put on us, if enough threats are made, we will alter what we believe or what we say we believe in order to save our own skins. That's just the way that sin has built us. That's just the way that we are with our sin nature. We will do almost anything to save our own skins. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold and to be brave. In these days especially, America is heading for a persecution, I think. I think that it is all standing in the offing and it's ready to begin showing itself for real. Uh, I could give you example after example, but that's not what my message is about. You need the Holy Spirit, boldness, because you will face opposition. You will face opposition. 
It says in Acts 4, 2 and 3, it says, These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it is already evening, they put them in jail. They were opposed to the disciples. They were opposed to the message of the gospel. They were opposed to the things of God. And people, that is coming to America here too. It's coming to America. I think it's going to come sooner than we think. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 9, he said, You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many who will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. There are people in this world today, probably the majority of people in this world today, are facing terrible persecution for speaking the words of Jesus Christ. If you live in a Muslim-dominated country, you are very restricted in how you can preach and teach the gospel. And yet in those very countries, in the country of Iran, where Christianity has been outlawed, it is, it is growing by leaps and bounds in the face of persecution, in the face of jailings, in the face of beatings, in the face of all kinds of terrible things that are happening. The Word of God is going forth anyway, and it is, it is, it is, it is, there is a great revival that's going on in that country right now. Among the Muslim world in general, there is a revival of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's happening. It's happening where the gospel is preached. It's happening through signs and wonders. It's happening through dreams and envisions. And God is making his way into the Muslim world in this this world today. You and I, hopefully, will probably never face that kind of, of discrimination and that kind of suffering. We'll probably be more like T.S. Eliot. I don't know how many of you are familiar with T.S. Eliot. He was a great American poet who lived in England and, uh, and wrote in the early 1900s. But he became a Christian. He was a member of a, of a group called the Bloomsbury Group that was a, a kind of a club of intellectuals that were all atheists or Unitarians and believed that, that there might be a God, but that if there is, he probably is distant and doesn't know us, or there was no God at all. T.S. Eliot became a Christian in the middle of all of this. And when the news of his conversion came to that group, the writer Virginia Woolf, who was a part of that group, wrote this about him. She wrote an open letter to the group and she said this, I have had the most shameful and distressing interview with dear Tom Elliott, who may be called dead to us all from this day forward. He has become a believer in God and immortality, and he goes to church. I was shocked. A corpse would seem more credible than he is. I mean, there's something obscene in a living person sitting by the fire and believing in God. That's probably the extent of of suffering that you and I are going to face in this world. But we are going to face opposition. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not popular. It's not something that people look forward to unless they're distressed and need help and are looking for hope and are looking for something in the spiritual realm that's not popular to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, who wants to be told that they're separated from God by their sin? 
Who wants to be told that they're sinners in the eyes of God and that they need to repent and all of that kind of stuff in order to be made right with God? Nobody wants to hear that outside of the, those people that are followed by Jesus Christ. We need the Holy Spirit's boldness because you're going to face opposition. Some of you already know that. Some of you in your own families have disowned you. They have labeled you as crazy or fanatic or a nutcase or something like that because you actually believe in Jesus Christ in a tangible way. You know, you walk into the room and everybody kind of quiets down. Oh, they're here. Oh, my goodness. Here comes the crazy one. Here comes the one that believes in healing. Here comes the one that believes in speaking in tongues. Here comes the one that believes in all of that kind of crazy stuff. And we just, we just got to tolerate them, just humor them at, at best. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance because we're going to face opposition. Some of you have experienced it in the workplace because you pray over your meal. That's all you do is pray over your meal. And people think that you're crazy because you believe in God and because you, you actually pray over your meal, all of that kind of stuff. You are going to face opposition. As a matter of fact, I might say this, I might say it, I might not, yes I will. If you're not facing some kind of opposition, not, maybe not even something so great and powerful as, as disassociation by your family or something like that, but if you're not facing some kind of opposition, I would really examine whether I'm shining for Christ or not. I would examine whether I'm really shining for Christ or not. You need the Holy Spirit's boldness because you will face opposition. Secondly, you need the Holy Spirit's boldness because when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. When you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. Jesus promised his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, when you are arrested... <clears throat> Don't worry about how you are to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now that doesn't sit very well with me. I want to know what to say beforehand. I want to have my speech all ready to go and have everything just right. But Jesus says, no, just trust that the Holy Spirit will be with you. Just trust that the Holy Spirit will be with you. There's a pastor named Andrew Burson who was arrested in Turkey not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. He was released, I believe. But he was arrested in Turkey as a terrorist. He, was a, he had pastored a church in Turkey for 20-some years, faithfully pastoring that church, faithfully preaching the Word of God. But when Erdogan became the, the, the leader of Turkey by a coup, uh, he cracked down on all of the churches and people that were, that were foreigners and that kind of thing. And he had him arrested and thrown into jail. And he faced life in prison because of his belief in Jesus Christ, because he wouldn't confess to being a terrorist, which he was not. But at his trial, he spoke and he said, I choose to forgive the people which have done this to me. I forgive them because Jesus Christ requires that I do that as a Christian. 
He said, I am blessed to suffer for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gave him the words to say at that moment. And he says, when I did that, when I said those things, I felt almost a holy defiance coming over me. We didn't know what would happen in that final court session. He said he packed two bags, one bag for prison and one bag for release in case he was released. And wonder of wonders, they released him at that time. And within 24 hours, he was at the White House. He went from prison to the White House in 24 hours because the Holy Spirit had given him the words to speak at the right time. The Holy Spirit can do that for you and I too. It is overwhelming. What boldness? Where did it come from? Where did he get that boldness to speak the truth to those people that held him over life and death? It came from the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you will come to times when you don't know what to say. Can I just tell you as a pastor, this happens to me a lot. People will pour out their heart to me and they'll tell me terrible things that have happened to them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, you've got to fill my mouth because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer these questions. And God is faithful in doing that time after time after time. I'll never forget one specific instance. Uh, this person came to me and they began pouring out their heart. And I, I was praying through the whole, I heard the first two sentences and it was so tough. I stopped, I stopped listening almost and I said, oh God, you got to help me. And I just felt the Holy Spirit giving me a word for them. And I could watch the stress drain out of their face. I watched it go away. I watched, it, I watched a relief come into their hearts. And they said, oh, you're so wise. And I said, oh, if you only knew. I'm not wise. I just depend upon the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because there are times when we're not going to know what to say. And we're going to have to say what comes from the Holy Spirit. There's another reason you need the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and that is to prevent a watered-down message of the gospel. These guys did not preach a watered-down message of the gospel. Let me read once again what they said in Acts chapter 4. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Not just Jesus, Jesus Christ the Nazarene, in case there's any doubt who I'm talking about. It's Jesus the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no other name. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. First, the first victim of fear is truth. The first victim of fear is truth. And we are always tempted to mitigate when we're confronted by hostile, op uh, uh, by hostile opposition. That's the first thing that goes. How can I make this better? How can I water this down so it's not offensive? How can I say this so that it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings? But the gospel is convicting in its power. That's where it get its, gets its power from, is the convicting power that it has to make men say, I need God. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. What that guy has, I want. That confidence that he knows that these things are true. I need that. That's where the power comes from, is in telling the truth. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a place in Acts chapter 5 where they pray this again. They, the disciples are all together in, in another room, and they say, and they pray, and they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats 
and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They knew that they needed great boldness to speak the truth, not some watered-down version. Is Jesus the only way of salvation? They come up to you and they grab you by the shirt collar and they say, oh, so you believe Jesus is the only way. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? You say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ, 33 AD. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, am, I, am the, I, am, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Oh, a little side message here. I hope you're continuing on with your Bible reading from the new year, uh, that you're keeping up with that because it is so important that you get the Bible deep down in your heart. It's so important that you give the Holy Spirit something to draw up in those times when you don't know what to say. If there's an empty well, you can't get water from it. And if there's a full well, you can draw deeply from it. And some of us need more of the Word in us because we don't have enough of it in us and there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to draw on when He, when he comes and He tries to fill our mouths. That's why you need the Word. Rant over. We need the Holy Spirit's mess, boldness to keep us from a watered-down message. We need the Holy Spirit because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that qualifies you, not your degrees. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that qualifies you, not your degrees. It says in verse 13 of chapter 4, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized these men as who had been with Jesus. You know, that's the common refrain that I hear from people who say, I, I can't really be a good witness for Christ. I, I just, I, I don't have, I'm not trained in it. I'm not trained in it. Well, get trained in it. But also, just speak the truth of God's Word. Let your power be from the Holy Spirit, not from your education. Not from, sometimes an education can be a hindrance. You depend upon your own knowledge and your own understanding and your own abilities rather than the power of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth. Just let the Holy Spirit speak through you. In John chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, the people were surprised when they heard Jesus. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. You can say that same thing. You can say that same thing that Jesus said. My message is not my own. It comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. The Holy Spirit is there to make you qualified to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to speak the gospel to people that are around you. And then finally, you need the Holy Spirit's boldness because you need to obey God above people. You need to obey God above people. In Acts 4, 34, 19 and 20, Peter and John came back to them and they said, um, they threatened them. They said, don't preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And they said, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and we have heard. Everything we have seen and we have heard. You need to have the Holy Spirit in your life because He will fill your life with experiences, things that you can see and that you can hear, that you can take out and you can use in times of need. 
The Holy Spirit wants to do miracles through you. He wants to see, have you see changed lives. He wants to see you do things that you cannot do in your own power and your own strength because those experiences are things that no one can argue against. These things happen to me. I know it. And I know that, that God is real because he's experienced these things through me. In Acts 5.29, the apostles and Peter said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Sometimes we forget that God is in the ultimate truth. And when people with power confront us, we can easily be dissuaded from speaking that truth. There may come a time when we're called to obey God rather than unjust laws. I can see that happening in this country, not too far in the future, where laws will be written so that Christians cannot freely express the truth. In places like Canada and other places, if I were to preach on certain subjects about homosexuality, about, about transgenderism, about all that kind of stuff I could be arrested I could be brought up on charges and that may be coming to this country too but we should know this Paul wrote in 2nd Timothy 3 1 and 2 he said know this Timothy in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money they will be boastful and proud scoffing at God disobedient to their parents and ungrateful they will consider nothing sacred. They will consider nothing sacred. Does that sound familiar today? There are things in our world today that are not sacred anymore that were sacred 20, 30 years ago. And they're not considered sacred anymore. Corey Tenboom hid Jews in her house. She was a little girl and lived in the Netherlands and occupied Netherlands in the, when the Nazis were in power. And they hid Jews in their house. And one day an informant came and told on them. And they were all arrested. And as they were on the train going away to, to the concentration camps, her father was telling her that she could trust God for the future. And she said, how can I do that, Father? She asked her father how, the, how she could be strong when she didn't feel strong. And here's what she wrote in her book, The Hiding Place. She said, Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times considering this. Why, just before we get on the train. Exactly, her father said. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. God is never late. God is never early. He's always just in time. And we need that boldness when we need to obey God. God will give us that strength just in time. But you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart. There's a, I'm going to close with this text in Acts chapter 19. Paul goes to the city of, uh, of Corinth. He goes to Ephesus. And he goes to visit the church there. And when he gets there, he notices something about the people that are there. there there's something missing from their life. And he asked them the question. He said, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? That's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If you can answer that question, yes, I pray that you be refilled this morning that you be refilled with the Holy Spirit. 
and that you let him be, be your guide and your light this morning. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, this morning is your opportunity to do that. We're going to ask you to stand in just a minute and come forward and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and let him fill you to overflowing. And God will do that if you ask him to do that. But I want you just to pray right now and ask God to come and fill you right where you are. Would you all stand with me, please? <clears throat> Amen. If you want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you come forward. If you've already received it, you want more, come forward. If you have never received it and you just want it right now, come forward. I'm going to come and pray for you. I'm not going to do anything other than just lay my hand on you and pray for you and ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit and let Him do that. So you come right now as the worship team is getting ready to sing. You come right now and fill this altar area with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's, let's do it.